Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Interim Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. Today on the show, we are speaking with Debbie Hoffman, class of 1996. She's an adjunct professor here who has a brand new course in our online graduate programs focusing on Bitcoin. She also founded her own company and it just has some really good insights on Bitcoin and blockchain technology in general. So stick around for that. Before we get to it, though, as always, check out albanylaw.edu slash coronavirus for all the updates you're going to need for the rest of the semester and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. If you like this episode of the podcast, though, make sure to follow us on all of the major podcast services or on our SoundCloud account. Incidentally, before we get to this one, also want to add one more note in here. This was recorded on Tuesday, February 16th. I know there's been some news updates with Bitcoin and blockchain since then. So just keep in mind that we're recording this on February 16th. Interesting talk today. So let's get right to it with Debbie Hoffman. Back here on the podcast with Debbie Hoffman. And Debbie, if you just take a second to introduce yourself to everybody listening to the podcast today. Hi, Ben. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So my name is Debbie Hoffman. I'm the an adjunct professor at Albany Law School. I'll be teaching the upcoming blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and the law course. Um, I've been an attorney for about 25 years, and I went to Albany Law School. And we love to have the alums come back. Always one of our favorite parts of having the podcast here. You mentioned that Bitcoin course coming up. Could you just give us a little intro to that course? Absolutely. So it is offered as part of the online graduate program. It's offered in both the financial compliance and risk management program and in the cyber security and data privacy program. It kind of overlaps with both. And it the course will introduce the topic of Bitcoin and virtual currency, and then it will also move on to talk about the concept of uh, blockchain technology as a whole. There's about seven topics. It, it starts with, like I said, an introduction. It goes... it goes through the state law, the federal law, use cases in blockchain. So there's a lot more than what most people think of Bitcoin and virtual currency. There's there's just a tremendous amount of business use cases within the technology. And we move on to talk quite a bit about securities and securities law. And then finally, what are known as smart contracts. And I do want to get into all the basics of Bitcoin in just a second here, but I did want to, before we get too far, I'm even getting ahead of myself just asking the question. You founded your own company. Could you just tell us more about that and give us an overview of what that company is? Sure, Ben. Thank you. So yes, I founded Symmetry a few years ago to help navigate the emerging space in blockchain and the virtual currency market. I really, um, the, the company really ended up focusing on education, strategy, and implementation of blockchain endeavors. If you're not familiar with blockchain, it's the underlying platform to Bitcoin or virtual currencies. So the team and I actually primarily worked in mortgage and the mortgage field, the intersection of mortgage and blockchain. We were increasingly pulled into the virtual currency space. As as a lot of people know, it's uh, really grown. And so naturally, tokenization became part of our uh, work as well. Okay, so we touched on blockchain there briefly. Can we just start very basic here? What is Bitcoin? Where does it come from? How long has it been around? Can you just explain what we're talking about? Absolutely. Let's start from the beginning. In the late 2008, early 2009, a person, entity, group of people we don't know exactly named Satoshi Nakamoto wrote a white paper and introduced an open source code that was built on blockchain technology. So most people know this concept as Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is a virtual currency that is, like I said, built on a new uh, on this blockchain 
blockchain technology. So let me just explain Bitcoin a little bit first. Bitcoin is a electronic system of payment or value. And some, some people say cash, but it's really just a electronic exchange of value. In 2010, it really, the first Bitcoin exchange opened up. And then by May of 2010, people started to, the first, it was the first purchase used on Bitcoin. A, a lot of people are familiar with the fact that um, Bitcoin's value grew. So just to give you kind of perspective, the value was equivalent to a dollar in February of 2011, $100 in April of 2012. And by December of 2017, it hit 20,000. Today, it, it's, it's pretty volatile, but today it's over $4,500 for one Bitcoin. There is, like I said, it's volatile and there's, there's some speculation there. It really is what we call the, in, in the field the grandfather or the oldest of all virtual currencies. Just to give people another little bit introduction of blo what blockchain is as opposed to Bitcoin. Like I said, blockchain is the technology on which Bitcoin was built. And every single virtual currency that's out there, there's thousands right now, are built on their own blockchain protocols. They are not all the same. So when we talk blockchain and Bitcoin, Bitcoin for your, you know, for your purposes is the oldest electronic currency that's around. And blockchain is the underlying technology on which all of these types of virtual currencies are built. And it's also used in a lot, a lot of different use cases, not just in virtual currency. And that's blockchain is used in multiple. Correct. Yeah, and many, many different use cases. Blockchain is used in healthcare, in financial services, in entertainment, and in, in it's it's a type of technology that's used to track and record the exchange of data among parties. So it, it takes the place of a lot of different technologies today that, that kind of combines the, the best characteristics of all of them together. Okay, going back to Bitcoin here, how does somebody get a Bitcoin? Like, do they get like a physical coin or is it just live in their computer? How do you get Bitcoins? It's a great question, Ben. So it actually, it's not, you do not actually have a, a hard, a copy of a, a hard coin that you can hold in your hand, but there's many ways that you can, then you can have a Bitcoin. So the average person who is not necessarily a techie can have what is called a crypto wallet, and you can use it on an app on your phone or your computer through what are called crypto exchanges. So very well known one might be Coinbase, or um, there's others to eToro. I think on Robinhood, you can buy crypto and CoinMama and BlockFi, these are all types of um, coin crypto exchanges where you can buy um, the currency and hold it on their exchange. The other way you can have it is through a hard, you can have a basically a computer that has it that is not connected to the internet. It's called, it's like basically they call it cold storage. So you can hold your crypto that way. And you have different types of keys to access your Bitcoin. So it can, what's called a public key where you can buy something from me using my, if I'm selling something um, and you can, you want to buy it using Bitcoin, you have to know my public key, but I am the only one that has my private key to access my Bitcoin. Uh, the other thing that people also should know about is this process called mining. So in order to for the technology to work, there is something behind the scenes called crypto mining. And it's 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 a sophisticated way that mathematical problems are solved to it's it's very complicated. But the idea is that these mining rigs are set up to help perpetuate the growth of Bitcoin. And if certain mathematical problems are solved, the solver of that problem is gets a reward of a Bitcoin. But I don't want to mislead your listeners to think, oh, they should go start mining because it's in this, in Bitcoin, which has been around, like I said, since 2009, the chances of 
really making that match are very, very slim. Most of those mining rigs are now done by commercial mining rigs where they have thousands of computers basically running CPUs, just running to mine Bitcoin. And then they can potentially get through and get a Bitcoin reward. Um, the people that are doing mining these days on blockchain are really mining on other types of virtual currencies that are that have rewards more often than, than Bitcoin in a, in a mining rig. Okay, so that's how we get these things. What are some of the advantages of having Bitcoins or fractions of a Bitcoin or an account on any of these things? What is the advantage of having a Bitcoin in your possession? Sure. So the value of Bitcoin is it's incredible because it can be transferred instantaneously across the world from person to person, number one. So I could send you in one location in the US and you're in another and I could send you, I could basically pay you something of value immediately. And there is no intermediary. It goes directly from me to you for the most part. I mean, there are uh, ands, ifs and buts to that, but for the most part, there are no intermediary. Another factor about it is that it's, it can be done anonymously. It doesn't mean that all blockchain chains are built with virtual currency and the anonymous characteristics that are on Bitcoin. But Bitcoin does have this um, characteristic that it has the anonymous feature so that it has been used uh, for good or for bad, honestly. The fact that there's no middleman for the most part and not fees makes it extremely great option for people who believe that it will open up the economy by eliminating what we call the middleman or the institution. Um, there is a whole movement about that called the libertarian view of how Bitcoin can basically change the world by not having this institutional middleman. And then the other advantage is that there's a potential increase in value. So if you hold Bitcoin, and there's a whole, again, another movement of uh, believers that think you really shouldn't sell your Bitcoin, you should just hold it. It can be used as a, an investment vehicle. So like I said earlier in the podcast, today, I think it's up above 45,000. We've seen this movement just since early January, just keep going up and up and up. And so it's, it is speculative, but if you're somewhat of a, if you're, if you like to uh, gamble, or even if you, you know, a trader on the stock exchange, you should buy Bitcoin and, and you should, if you're willing to take the risk and see if you can make a little money at it. So that's the other advantage of it. So I just want to review how my internet purchasing works and tell me uh, if this transaction will work differently. So I buy something on eBay. I use my PayPal account to pay for it. So I pay, that's my middleman is PayPal in that instance. You're saying with Bitcoin, I could just give the seller directly, you know, a, a Bitcoin, say I'm buying a car. Now you could just give them a Bitcoin and I get my car versus having to go through PayPal and pay fees and different kind of things. I can just go right to the person. That's right. That's exactly right. And the other feature of that is, it. I mean, that's the whole concept of blockchain technology is that there is no middleman. So it opens up a huge amount of transactional opportunities from currency to, to other, like I said earlier, for instance, in entertainment. Theoretically, you could buy you could buy music or tickets or something directly from the artist as opposed to having to go through the, you know, the transaction person in, the, in between. So yes, the, the concept of Bitcoin is direct person to per, person to person, peer to peer, however you want to call it. Paying an artist directly for a piece of art or a concert sounds really good to me, but with positives, there have to be negatives. So what are some of the drawbacks of Bitcoin? 
Sadly, with any positive, there are definitely negatives. And due to the anonymous nature of Bitcoin, we've seen uh, the growth of tremendous nefarious players um, using it in a, such a wide variety of scams. And then that what that means is, so they can't, the, the people that are using it without the uh, tracing ability, you can't trace them, you can't return something. So all of these scammers have come out of the woodwork and used the Bitcoin for, to give it really a bad reputation. It doesn't mean that it's not a good thing, but they, you know, they are using it for those purposes. There are many virtual currencies, maybe not necessarily Bitcoin, that can be traced. And it's because the blockchain underneath it is built differently from the way a Bitcoin is built. So Bitcoin was built to be anonymous, but other virtual currencies don't necessarily have that same factor. Again, whether good or bad, but that's just the, the nature of the growth of virtual current the virtual currencies since 2009. Okay, so positives and negatives, we've covered those, but why should lawyers care about Bitcoin? Why should law students care about Bitcoin? So as I've just been talking, if you are a law student that is intrigued and or a lawyer that is intrigued, there probably have been a few questions that have popped up in your mind, specifically around the fact that I keep talking about, well, it's person to person and it's this money and you so there are so many legal implications that relate to that. And so regulators are looking at it and lawmakers trying to figure out how to address it. So for instance, when I pay somebody in Bitcoin and then I want to cash it out, how is it tracked in by the IRS? It's the first and oldest virtual currency, Bitcoin. And it's incredibly important to understand the compounding use of virtual currencies in business. So as the regulators and lawmakers have their eyes and ears open on the growth and how it affects investments, lawyers can play a huge role in developing the law and and really, this is a very unique opportunity in terms of growth of, of the law. The legal aspects touch upon so many different areas, whether it's tax and property, like I said earlier, securities and in investments or intellectual property and in, in, you know, the development of the technology, banking and money transmissions, corporate structuring, liability, litigation, I can go on and on, but there's so many growing areas of law that are being looked at. So they're being looked at by the federal regulators, by the state regulators and lawmakers, and then globally from, because I said it can go to person to person from, from here to anywhere in the world. And so it's global as well. And the way I look at it is there are very few times where attorneys truly have the ability to help shape the law in such a fast and influential manner. Sure, we do that every day to some degree and baby steps, but this is the enormity of this and the pace of this is such a unique opportunity for a law student or a, a lawyer in their career to, to really make a difference. Backing up just a little bit here, I did want to ask you about a piece that's not on Bitcoin, but it's on blockchain itself. And you sure. published this one back in November, and I'm going to have a link to it in the show notes. So if you're listening, you want to check this out, just click on the information down there. But it's called the, the New Passport Digital Identity on the Blockchain. And it talks about some of the other applications of blockchain apart from Bitcoin. Can you just give us an overview of what that piece is? This takes us into the blockchain component, the underlying technology of Bitcoin, and the articles about how identity can be reimagined to use blockchain technology instead of what we use today is basically our, our passports or our driver's license to prove our identity. So today, when we have to prove our identity, 
we show our age, we go into the store, we show our driver's license, or we go to rent a car or check into a hotel, all the things, go to a doctor's office. Again, we show our driver's license. The concept of digital identity, and especially I'm talking about even specifically digital identity on the blockchain, is that it's essentially a collection of data points about an individual, and it's stored on the, the blockchain protocol. So a digital identity can be created, and then it has all these data attributes, and then And there's no single owner, really, because you make up your own, all the attributes you would put into this blockchain protocol that you could use to show your identity electronically. And so the digital identity component is being built on these platforms to enable, and so they're enabling all kinds of advancements with respect to identity. So think about all the things that you do where you need your identity, medical and healthcare records, consumer products, shopping, financial services, um, electronic voting is another one. And uh, it's being used for all these different purposes by putting these identification components on a blockchain. Uh, the future is going to be different. I can tell you that <laughs> from, <laughs> from this kind of thing. I did want to ask a follow-up there is with all this personal information on a blockchain, is there a security risk involved in that? Or is it something that's going to be secure where people will feel free to do these kind of things? Because I know there's some apprehension right now about having such personal information online, even if it is in these blockchains. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because the concept of the blockchain protocol is that it's actually more safe and more difficult to get to than what we have now. And the reason behind that is because the way technology is built now is that it gets information gets stored on servers, on mainframe servers. And so in blockchain, the way that information is stored is actually not on one, two, three, four servers. It's on basically we call them nodes, but it's equivalent to thousands of different servers that are, it's it's a distributed network. So it's instead of having, like I said, three servers that store all your information, there might be a thousand different nodes that have bits and components of the pieces to store that information. And so because it's in this type of a network, it's much more difficult to hack to get to the information because in order to have a hack on one of those types of uh, on a blockchain protocol you have to have a what's called a 51% hack 51% of those nodes have to be hacked at the exact same time so the answer is like anything ben there are always some security risks to anything we do there's security risks of 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 voting on paper there's security risks of you know doing things the way we do now on paper and sending you know sending that way so but the blockchain protocol, I believe it's a safer way because of the fact of this this um, this type of distributed network. And so the answer is nothing's perfect, but it's better than what we have. One more about blockchain before we head into the lightning round, because the lightning round is always going to be there. You can always count on the future of the lightning round. But I want to ask about the future of Bitcoin. Is this something that's going to stick around? Is this a long-term thing? <laughs> I think it's great that you asked me that question, because honestly, if I knew that question, I would be somewhere drinking a uh, strawberry daiquiri, (laughs) but um, only in that the value has gone up so much in in the past year even. So, but what I can tell you is that, uh, so Bitcoin is the oldest one and whether Bitcoin is the actual virtual currency that's here to stay, it's really hard to know. A lot of people do believe it's the oldest and the best, but what I can tell you is that virtual currencies themselves are here to stay. We have the technology now. We know the value of it and how it can change 
business and transactions, we can't go back to, we can't go back to before we had this. We know it exists. We know it makes things more efficient. We know you can exchange payment across from peer to peer. So it will continue to morph over time into something, again, the way how we use it might change. And so whether Bitcoin stays around or whether just virtual currency generally stays around, the answer is yes. I just don't, can't tell you which or how or exactly what, what it will be. All right, let's head into the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? I am, yeah. (laughs) Lightning round is a loose term around here on the podcast. (laughs) Beyond coming to Albany Law School to teach, you, of course, and we mentioned it before, are an alum. We want to share uh, your favorite Albany Law School memory with us. Oh, just one? (laughs) Well, the biggest one is that I actually, um, so in law school, you sit next to, you sit alphabetically, or at least we did when I was in law school. I don't know. I think they probably still do to some degree. And so my best friends became Sherman and Sen, and they still are very, very close friends. And I met my husband at Albany Law School. So his, my last name obviously is Hoffman, and he sat next to Mr. Hawk. And I went to high school with Mr. Hawk. So, so, um, you know, that was a pretty, pretty important memory there. I also spent a lot of time in the Schaefer Law Library. I, I know my favorite seats. I imagine they hopefully will, they're still there. I studied and worked really, really hard. I think probably I still do, but it just, you know, set me off in that direction. A couple of just more fun memories, I, because I, I can't just limit it to one, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> is spending time in the courtyard and spending time in the gym. I mean, Albany Law School has this, it's so unique that it has this gym where we would do aerobics and there was back, so basketball games and then the next day you'd be taking an exam in the same room so that component of Albany was was always really unique as well oh and we've had to convert it into a classroom for the last almost year now so yeah it's a unique aspect of Albany law for sure next one up on the lightning round we've talked about Bitcoin but we like to have fun here in the lightning round so the question of course is what is your favorite coin like the Washington quarters or the US state quarters or the Canadian like loony dollar Kennedy half dollar what's your favorite kind of coin out there in the world you know what I just have to tell you whatever coin is in my wallet is my favorite coin <laughs> so other than that I I can't really uh, say I'm partial to the Canadian $2, the Toonie. That's my favorite coin, I think. But that's just me. (laughs) Okay, that's good. In December, there was a Carolina Panthers offensive tackle named Russell Okung, who boasted on Twitter that he's receiving half of his $13 million NFL salary in Bitcoin. I don't know if you've you've seen this story, but this NFL player is getting paid in Bitcoin. Two questions. Is this a good idea? And would you do that? People always ask me about like, should I invest in Bitcoin or should I put my life savings in Bitcoin? The answer is like anything else that you invest in. So Bitcoin is like, it's a great investment right now. It's going up and I'm a, I'm a believer in it, obviously, or I wouldn't be in this business. So if I could survive on the other half of my 13 million, then yes, absolutely, I would do it. But if I need really need that money to live, I am not putting it, I wouldn't put it in Bitcoin because it's, it is very volatile. And if you don't have an appetite for risk or the ability for that risk, then you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing it. So because it's, it's not backed by anything like our US dollar right now, or so, you know, it it's a gr- I think it's a great move, and I think it would be great if we could see more companies offering their employees the opportunity to pay in Bitcoin, and maybe we will see that, because I think it would be really interesting for people to have these future investments in Bitcoin. 
All right, you've navigated the lightning round. We always come to the last question of our podcast, and it's always the same question. Is there anything that you would like to say to the Albany Law School community? Thank you for that. Uh, Absolutely. So there are not many times as lawyers that we have the opportunity to help shape the law to the degree, like I've said, this has been allowed by by blockchain and virtual currency. And there's so many different areas of law that touch upon it. So I would encourage the law school community to get educated about this topic, to have a basic understanding. And don't use the excuse that you're not a techie and and you don't really understand it because you can understand it with a few basic courses, a few basic concepts, and you don't necessarily need to know the inner workings of how every everything works, but enough to have an understanding to help your clients and help understand the shape of the law. So, and I want to bring this kind of full circle, Ben, if you don't mind, but I do a lot of you know work in this area. And I came across a 1925 graduation speech by Justice Benjamin Cardozo and who was a New York Court of Appeals judge. And apparently in this speech, he told the students that there would be a new generation of problems which called for new rules to be patterned after the past and adopted to the needs and justice of another day and hour. And to me, when I read that, it is amazing that this speech that was made at Albany Law almost a century ago has never been more true. So that's, that's what I'd like to say to the Albany Law School community. Debbie, thanks you so much for coming on the Albany Law School podcast. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it as well.